0: Hello, friends. This is uh, Driving Theology. This is going to be the first uh, podcast of the new year. Happy 2016, everyone. Today it's uh, January 13th uh, here in uh, beautiful Japan. Uh, Just about to get on the road to return to my house. So you're stuck with me for the next 40 minutes. Uh, and I'm glad to be uh, stuck with you for the, the two or three that listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, I actually took time and... Uh, uh, it's cold here, my belts are squeaking. actually I took time to, to, to stop for a minute and to try to think about a good topic for today. Uh, and you know, I've got a few things, uh, one of the, one of the things that I've been learning a lot about recently, uh, that kind of threw me for a loop and shocked me and, and at the same time, it, it, it didn't surprise me in that, uh, I can totally see it as a plausible theory, uh, is the great ecclesiastical conspiracy. Uh, if, uh, you're not familiar with it, which most people I've talked to aren't. Uh, you might be surprised to hear about it. So I'm going to start with that today. And uh, granted, this is new to me, so I-, I would love your comments and any corrections you might have, or uh, um, different ideas. Maybe I'm a little bit off my rocker. I know I'm. I know I'm off my rocker a bit, anyway. Um, So the the idea is this, that when the Bible was first translated from, especially the New Testament, from uh, the Greek to the Latin, the Roman church uh, was being established, and we know that from the uh, 3rd century AD and on, Constantine had established freedom of religion in the Roman Empire, and he had accepted, uh, at least, at least by name, he, he had accepted Christianity and accepted Christ himself. Uh, and during this time, uh, he established uh, Christianity as the national, more or less, the national religion of Rome. Uh, with him as a if not the head a very influential person because he was of course the Emperor of Rome and now he had so graciously uh, given uh, uh, Christianity a higher place in the Empire uh, after many centuries of persecution uh, first by the Jews and later by especially the romans uh and especially the Emperor Nero, which is you know uh, he was very famous for his uh murdering and uh displaying of the killing of uh killings of Christians so here we have constantine he's he's called the uh, uh the uh, <coughs> What do you call it? The Gathering of Nicaea. There's a a word for it. The Council of Nicaea. And at this council, uh, they have decided to agree upon a set of uh, beliefs about Christianity. So they kind of came up with a list. And that's what we know as the Nicene Creed. A list of, of beliefs that all Christians everywhere should embrace. And so at this time, the the church was uh, at least heavily influenced by uh, by Constantine, if not led by Constantine. And he called a lot of shots and used wielded his influence uh, to establish Christianity in the way that he saw fit. Now, at this time, Christianity sort of moved into and took the place of. The uh, Roman religion, uh, which of course they uh, worshipped many gods. Um, uh, the uh, the the gods of Greece basically had been Romanized. Um, right now, all of those are not coming to me. But for example, I believe Zeus is is uh, Jupiter, uh, and so they worshiped all of these gods, and they had established this religion already, and they had their priests and their temples, their, their holy places and whatnot. And many of those temples were uh, re-outfitted to be Christian houses of worship. So it's kind of like, you know, taking one thing and making it fit the mold of another. Uh, you might say that at that, until that point, Christianity was quite liquid, quite fluid, and it would have uh, had a very free shape, in a sense, depending on the culture uh, that it was found. But once Rome, Constantine and Rome kind of took it over, they, they really started standardizing things. And one of the things they, they decided to standardize was... Uh, the hierarchical um, nature that we find in, especially the Roman Church today, but but we find in almost every church, uh, especially institutional churches, we find a somewhat hierarchical uh, form of leadership. And at this time, when they translated the Bible from Latin, uh, sorry, from uh, from Greek into Latin, what what they did was they took certain common words and made them into ecclesiastical words, or churchy words, or uh, however you want to you want to say that. Uh, so that, for example, the the Greek word diakonos, which is to serve or to even a servant, became the office of the deacon. Uh, or, whereas an elder, an old person, become uh, became a, a, a bishop or things like this. and so that they they took common very common verbs and presumably some nouns and kind of raised them up to fit their paradigm uh, of leadership. And this is what's known as the ecclesi- ecclesiastical conspiracy where uh, people had ideas and they made the Bible fit their ideas. They made their own form of Bible. Now today we know that many people have done this. The, uh, the one that comes to mind are Jehovah's Witnesses. So they've, they had certain ideas that they believed, and so they rewrote their Bible to fit those ideas. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different what happened, it, but, but I would say it's mostly different because not many people know that all of the Bibles we read right now, have this conspiracy deeply embedded. So the Latin Vulgate, uh, the uh, first Latin, uh, I, I believe, again, if I'm wrong about this, you can feel free to correct me, but they changed words to fit their idea of leadership. And so this this had the effect of when if people would question leadership, they could now point to the Bible and say, well, you know, the word of God says this. So you know, I, I know you don't like it, but but that's the command of God that you, you know, you respect me because I have this, uh, you know, such and such position. Uh, all right, so it's in the Latin, okay? Um, and then you go to King James. Now, in the, in the century or a century and a half before King James, you had a couple English Bibles pop up, and basically this was uh, Pre-Reformation, uh, Reformation stuff. So before Calvin, before Luther, uh, just before them. But you know, they people were were becoming more and more aware that they needed to have the Bible in the hands of the common believer, the common Christian, not just in the hands of the clergy or the priests. Um, they really wanted. To have the hands, in, to have the word of God in the hands of the common person, and so, uh, I believe it's Wycliffe, No, that's not right. Tyndale, sorry, Tyndale. Tyndale translates the Bible into English, from directly from the Greek, where he could find it, I guess, and he he did take out some of these churchy words and replaced or restored the common words. Uh, to his version of the Bible. And he was killed for it by the church. The church did not like his efforts. They thought, they accused him of blasphemy uh, and changing the word of God when all he was doing was restoring it and he was martyred for it. William Tyndale. Uh, now, another couple uh Bibles came out. one was the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible also, apparently, again, I have some questions about this, but apparently they didn't also did not uphold all of the churchy words. Um, I think it's probably a bit a bit of a mixture between the Tyndale uh, and say the King James. I think there's probably some but not as much of the ecclesiastical terms. Uh, so, King James comes along, and, and by this time, King James uh, is the head of the Church of England. He, uh, the Church has split from the Roman Catholic Church, and now we have the Church of England. And instead of the Pope, uh, you have the King. The King of England is also the head of the Church of England. And so, to... to um, Back up, or to to support his uh, kingship in both realms, the church and the state. He also decided to make his own uh, translation of the Bible. So, at this time, we had the divine right of kings, and that that was a a uh, an idea that kings were given special privileges by God and could not be revoked, and they were above reproach because they were appointed by God himself. Therefore, only God could judge them. And so whatever a king did, basically this, this divine right of kings, this uh, philosophy or, or a theory or whatever you want to call it, basically said, well, you know, tough nuggets. you got to just take it because only God Uh, has any say over me. Uh, And so basically, kings at this time had uh, pretty much demigod status. Uh, They were, they were some, you know, kind of established themselves as gods because they were uh, given free reign to do as they willed. And so King James very much believed in this idea of the divine right of kings. And so he he wanted to make sure that the Bible, which they didn't have an English Bible at the time that supported this as much as he would like, that the Bible supported this idea. And so he assembled translators that believed in the same way he did. Uh, And over them he put his guy who also believed very strongly in what he believed And And this guy was a bishop in the church, I don't remember uh, his name. Uh, so you had King James and his bishop and then the translators. And basically they came up with a set of guidelines or rules that they insisted the translation conform to. And one of them was, of course, the divine word of kings. The other was the ecclesiastical terms had to be maintained. And so instead of the ecclesia being translated as the assembly or the gathering, it was, by royal decree, had to be called the church. Now we know the word church comes from uh, a couple possible sources. One is the uh, Scottish word kirk. I guess it's uh, Scottish Gaelic. Uh, Gaelic, Gaelic uh, which is kirk, the other possibility is the German Kirche, which basically comes from the Latin word capella, which is chapel, and so it did denotate a building, uh, and he wanted that kept in there, that was something that had to be uh, maintained, because to call the church an assembly of people would give too much power to the people. <clears throat> He did not want that, for sure. And so King James went ahead and had his Bible translated. And so the translators finished their work at at one point, and they handed it over to this bishop. And the bishop went away by himself with the translation for a time. And knowing exactly what the king wanted, he made several... Uh, several changes to what the translators came up with to be sure that the king was uh, supported by scripture in his place as sovereign over the church and over the nation. And so then we got the King James Bible, the 1607 King James Bible, and later, there's a later version as well. But basically, that Bible Was written to purposely keep out the original wording and to insert terms that upheld a hierarchical form of leadership for the church and the divine right of kings. I know, crazy, right? (laughs) I was. I was reading this, I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I knew that the word "ecclesia" was not translated correctly. That, that's a common one, right? But I didn't know it was a conspiracy, that it was purposely written that way, that we were purposely, we had the, the wool pulled over our eyes. That just that kind of flipped me out. So that is the great ecclesiastical conspiracy. Now, had it ended there, wow, that'd be awesome, you know. But it didn't end there, did it? The uh, American Standard Bible, very similar, very similar. It did exactly what the King James did. Uh, even the New American, the NIV. The New Living. Almost all of the mainstream Bibles out there still are riddled with the remnants of the great ecclesiastical conspiracy. And even though they claim to have been translated from the original Greek, uh, they, they still decided to do it in a way uh, that... Um, I can never come up with the right word for this. That backed up or supported uh, or leaned towards hierarchical leadership. So that, you know, the word diakonos, which is to serve, is translated the office of the deacon. I mean, that's just ridiculous. So that where Paul tells Timothy, if if a man wants to serve, uh, he desires a good thing. Uh, this is not a direct translation. I'm driving. This is, you know, this is just off the top of my head. It's translated as "if somebody wants to do the office of the deacon." When actually, it's just to serve. Uh, a very simple thing. So, all right. So that we've got that. Now, <clears throat> let's let's stay on the word to serve. And ladies, if any of you are hearing, listen closely to this part. Martha complains to Jesus that Mary is not diakonos with her, is not serving with her. She's not helping her serve. Okay? Now, when it's a woman, they go ahead and they translate it serve. They keep that word common and low serve, but when it's a man, they say the office of the deacon. So not only were they trying to uh, color everybody's thinking to where, you know, for the divine right of kings and uh, hierarchical leadership, they also were telling us how to think about sexism, trying to tell us that women can't have the office of the deacon, uh, but they can serve. Sure, they can serve. When in the original Greek, the word is exactly the same. So, here, here's, here's here's my problem. Here, here's my dilemma. None of the big people that I read are talking about this. Now, yeah, ecclesia—that that word is broached. That that subject is broached all the time. And ecclesia is actually an assembly of people. All right, but what about all the other terms? And and you know, what does that mean? What does that mean to us? You know, those of us who've been memorizing verses and we've memorized them wrong. So my question to you. If anybody, if anybody resists, what do we do about it? What is to be done? You know, I never really had a desire to learn Greek before, but now I do. Now I think I should put in the time and start learning the Greek words. At least, you know, a working Biblical vocabulary of Greek terms. Because I think it can make a pretty big difference. Who's with me? Who wants to learn Greek? <clears throat> uh, and there are just so many more like this. You know, when when the the Bible says "old person," they've translated it as the office of the elder, or the you know the presbyter or, or whatever term shepherd that they come up with to make it an official position or a title, as opposed to somebody who has more years than others. <laughs> Now, you know, off the top of my head, again, this is a fairly new subject for me, and I'm not an expert on it. Uh, I really hope to just pique your interest, so that we can uh, just throw out all the terms that were never meant for us, and get back to the original, uh, original meaning of certain verses. Sorry, my uh, throat's kind of scratchy, so I'm trying to drink a little water. That's why the brakes. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the uh, great ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical conspiracy and and what do you think that means for us, what, do you, what damage you think has been done, or if you think no damage has been done, then it doesn't matter at all. I'd like to hear that too. You know, in a sense, I think think that, uh, yeah, I, I, know that God's been working even through, uh, less than perfect translations. I know that the King James has brought a lot of people to Jesus over the years, you know? Um, so it, you know, it's not a, it, it's really a matter of now that you know, what do you do? you don't know, you don't know. And you know, I don't think we're responsible for acting on things we don't know, obviously. But now that you know, what do you do? What do I do? I'm not sure. Uh, Yeah, so that is the uh, great ecclesiastical conspiracy. People were killed for it. People were killed for trying to correct it. It makes you wonder, you know, what people might do to protect their title and position and salary. You know? Uh, The word pastor Pastor or pastor, of course, is uh, you know shepherd, which in its original meaning would be somebody who leads, who goes ahead of, who brings along with, and who protects. Um, but we've we've changed it to somebody to to obey, somebody who commands, somebody who decides. and really it's taken it's taken the church out of a family paradigm into i, I don't know a, a government or, or a, you know a business an organization right paradigm so that the church was was always meant to be a family we're we're supposed to be not just call each other brothers and sisters, but be brothers and sisters. We're supposed to have a a relationship of brothers and sisters to each other, right? Mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles. So ask yourself, what is the difference in the relationship between, let's say, a father and a son to a pastor and a, a, a common Christian. What's well, going to be the difference? Right? We we all had fathers. Maybe we didn't know our fathers, but we've all had a father at some point. And we can all imagine, uh, even if we didn't have a good relationship, what a good relationship with a father would look like. I don't see a lot of pastors having that kind of relationship with their parishioners. Um, Number one, the churches are just too big. Right? The churches are really big. Uh, And number two, we have a class system in the church. We have clergy and laity. Those who have degrees and make money leading the church, those are clergy. Those other people to give money and to warm the pews, uh, that's laity. Again, a, a distinction that never exists in the Bible, the true Bible, but that is pushed in our translations upon us, forced upon us purposely. great ecclesiastical conspiracy has to do with churchiness, right? Keeping the Bible, speaking the language that keeps uh, people's titles and positions safe. Helps them to lord over. Something that Jesus warned against. Um, And so, not a small deal to me. And, and maybe it depends on at what point uh, you are in your walk with, with Jesus. You know, at what point are you at? Um, whether you need to tackle this or not. Maybe maybe you're not ready. Maybe this is just not your fight at this point. And maybe the Spirit's not calling you to that. But I just want to put it out there. I want you to be aware of it. Because at some point it may become your fight. And uh, we may need to have a revolution. We We need... A, an accurate translation of the Word of God. We need it. And that translation is going to change things. And I'm not a linguist. I'm not a, a, a Bible language expert. I've, I've studied neither Hebrew nor Greek. <coughs> nor Latin. <coughs> for that matter. Uh, but I would love to see... Love to see translators be equipped to rise up and say enough let's, let's put the true word out there to the best of our abilities and let people decide for themselves what the word of God says on certain topics and not try to color their judgment and not push our agenda of clergy and laity Hierarchical leadership of uh, gender roles. But let let people decide for themselves. But they need to be given a trustworthy Bible. Um, I wish I, I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that there's a Bible out there that you can go out and buy right away that's going to solve all your problems. But I, I really can't. I've, I've kind of been searching and I haven't found one uh... that i'm quite happy with yet. if i find out i'll let you know Um, so here again you know decide for yourself is this is something you need to be worried about is this something that the spirit is calling you to uh... help correct to be the answer if you're a translator i I hope so and I hope there's some projects. There are some projects out there already that are uh, that are working on this because I'll be first in line uh, to buy that to buy that version, uh, the non-ecclesiastical version of the Bible. Uh, so I'm going to cut it off short right there. I, I uh, pray that Jesus. Uh, the anointed one, <laughs> Christ is another ecclesiastical word, and because of that Christian, you know, Christ comes from the Christos, which is the Greek word for Messiah, which means the anointed one, or anointed, uh, or chosen, you could say Jesus the chosen one, uh, which is the same meaning as Christ. So yeah, I pray that, uh, the chosen Jesus, Jesus chosen by God, uh, will give you wisdom and insight into these things and will continue to do so, do so for me as well. And I pray that, uh, we all come closer and closer to, um, the best possible life, uh, in Jesus, and I pray that the the life of Jesus will pulse through your veins, uh, will give you guidance and insight, and uh, I pray that his name be praised. Have a great 2016. Bye-bye.